Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast today. I hope you're enjoying spring. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, of course, if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, then it's fall. And I hope you're enjoying that season too. It's just um, starting to get warm here in Pennsylvania where I am, but it's still pretty cold some days. It's been a long winter. So I want to um, remind you guys before I get started of how you can help the podcast. And the number one way is to subscribe to the podcast or follow it, depending on what your app calls it. I think Apple Podcasts now calls it following the show. So follow me or subscribe to the podcast and also rate and review it. Write a quick review. We've had some really wonderful reviews lately. I'm so thankful for people getting out there and writing what they love about the show because that helps other lovers of historical fiction to find this show. Also, if you want to join the conversation about historical fiction unpacked, you can join us on Facebook at Historical Fiction Unpacked Podcast Group. Just search for that or find it in the show notes. And then also on on Instagram, we have an account called Historical Fiction Unpacked. So those are all wonderful things that you can do to support the show, and they are all completely free. However, if you want to support the show financially and help us keep the lights on here, you can go to my Patreon account, which is patreon.com slash Allison Treat, A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. And there are a number of different perks you can get for different levels of support. And one of them is receiving a book every month that is one of the books that we talk about on the podcast. So you get to choose. If you support me at that level, you get to choose a book to receive every month. So it is worth going to Patreon and checking out the different benefits you can get from supporting the show. But that's enough housekeeping. I want to move on and talk about our guest today. This is a conversation I recorded quite a while ago, back in November. Um, I talked to Renee Ryan, who is a multi-published, award-winning author. And I talked to her about her book, The Widows of Champagne, which released last August. And um, the reason that I am releasing, I'm going to be releasing a bunch of kind of oldish interviews, but I hope that they breathe new life into the books. But the reason for that was because of my sister's death in December, um, I had to take a break from the show. So a number of episodes that were supposed to be released were not released when we planned. And then I, I wanted to keep some of the schedule intact. And so I have to just release these when I have this, the time available for them. But I know like this conversation with Renee is so interesting. She's very different from a lot of the authors we have on here who um, love reading in English and writing. And, and obviously that's a lot of authors love that, but she has different interests in life. And it's very interesting to hear how um, she became an author and about her books too. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation with Renee Ryan. Renee, I'm so glad you could join me on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, your latest novel, The Widows of Champagne, released in August. Can you tell me about this book? Sure. It's uh, well. Do you want to know first of all how it came about? Because yes, okay, perfect. When I first started 
writing this book. It was about five years ago. And what happened was I was writing historical romances, basically romantic thrillers, and I set them in World War II. And what happened was my editor said, well, these aren't selling well, so let's put the World War II time period aside. And I moved into the gilded era of New York City. But I'd always mm-hmm. wanted to write the World War II. Uh, I just feel like it's such a it's such a time when right and wrong were very well defined. Yeah. And so especially in Nazi Germany. And I mm-hmm. really wanted to kind of focus on something along those lines. And I'd run across a book called Wine and War. And it was amazing how it immediately the story came to me. And I wanted to really highlight what it meant to live in occupied France during World War II with the Nazis in charge and trying to survive when you have no control over what's going to happen the next day. And they stole all that wine from them, which was their number one treasure. It was their livelihoods. It was how a lot of people considered France as, you know, it was their main export. Mm-hmm. And um, and from World War One, what had happened was all these farms and vineyards lost the men to the war. So the women were left running these homes and they were left running their businesses and the vineyards. And that's how this story came about was this house full of widows that had lost their men to war and tragedy and trying to make do. And then another war hit. Right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the story of the widows and and how you went about writing this book. Okay. So I have this home where these women are surviving and living together and yet they're really lonely. And I wanted to see what it was like. I wanted to explore female relationships within a family. And I wanted to see what would happen if a younger daughter connects with the grandmother, but not her own mother and Mm. the mother connecting with one of her daughters and not the other. And I really wanted to explore those relationships and where their strength comes from. So this book is about three women who their home is basically requisitioned by the Nazis. They now Mm. have a Nazi living in their home who is stealing their champagne and expecting them to serve him and serve his opportunistic goals. And they learn have to, or they have to learn how to work together in this world where they haven't always gotten along. Right. So, and it's three different women. Um, of yes. three different three different generations, right? Yes, it's the um, the grandmother's the matriarch. She's the woman who really turned the Champagne House into an international force. The granddaughter Gabrielle, she's in her late twenties, and well, when the war breaks out, and right. becomes sort of the grandmother's protege. She's the one where all the future is fallen onto her shoulders. The grandmother is older and she's starting to have some signs of dementia. So mm. there's even more of a burden on the granddaughter. Yeah. Her mother, the in-between, Ellen, she is a Parisian by birth. She has a secret. 
but as a Parisian by birth, she's not a farmer. She's all about fashion. She's all Mm -hmm. about friendship. She's all about living that life that her father had taught her how to live. And she was desperately in love with her husband, who was Gabrielle's Mm -hmm. father and Josephine, the matriarch's son. And so she sort of left here because he's dead. He dies after World War I, had mm-hmm. really bad shell shock. And she's left in this home where she doesn't really belong, but there's nowhere else for her to go. Her father is Jewish, and he had left the country early on when he saw sort of foresight where things were going to go once Hitler became chancellor in 1933. And he begged her to come and she wouldn't because she wanted to stay with her family, her daughters. And then there's the fourth daughter who doesn't have a point of view in the book, but she's Mm -hmm. the youngest. And she was the baby that was supposed to save the marriage and has been raised uh, like a mini me for the middle mother. Mm, Okay. Interesting. So, um, so many intricacies in the family relationships. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's, and I think the thing I really wanted to try when I was writing the book was to show how you can really love somebody and yet not have a connection to them. Mm -hmm. And so how do you bridge that gap? How do you show your love? How do you show your support when you have zero in common? Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's a good question. So is that your main takeaway for readers? Or what do you think that you want readers to take away from this book? I think there's probably two things I'd love for them to take from the book. The first would be the heroism of an everyday person that we find out what we're made of when we are pushed up against the wall, when we are given a mm-hmm. uh, something that we never expected to happen to us, a challenge. Um, obviously, war is more than a challenge, but it's the old thing that they, I think there's a saying that they say where you find out your character when you're pushed to the wall. And yeah. it's the old character is revealed. It's not changed. It's revealed under pressure. Right. That would be your my first takeaway. Sort of what are you made of? Mm-hmm. The second takeaway is definitely embracing the people that we love and trying to look past our differences and even whether or not we like them, but how to become closer because we love them. Yes. That your first takeaway, um, I feel like World War Two stories are just the best way to show what people are made of. <laughs> I yeah. feel like it it really brings out what um what people can rise to if they if it's required of them. Um right. Especially as you said, when right and wrong are so so clearly delineated that there's just, you know, if you if you are someone with morals, you can recognize what's right and what's wrong in that in that world. Very true. And and yet, sacrifice becomes a whole different thing to you when you don't know what the outcome is. We mm-hmm. knew as readers, yes. you know, when we go into a World War II book, we know the outcome. These right. people didn't know the outcome. 
And so when they chose to say collaborate or to make a sacrifice that seems horrific to us now in peacetime, when you Mm -hmm. look back on it, you see, okay, wait, they didn't know one day to the next Mm -hmm. what the outcome was going to be. Right. And that's an interesting perspective too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to know a little bit about your research and writing process. You've written a lot of books. So I imagine you kind of have it down what works best for you. And I'm, I'm curious what that's like. Oh, yes. I, you know, I think people that meet a writer, they really are just fascinated they think, oh my goodness, it must be super glamorous. And I don't know about you, Allison, <laughs> but writing is hard. Yes. <laughs> and, and I just, I can't imagine that I would have chosen this career. It chose me. Mm-hmm. I love the research part. I mm. can fall into rabbit holes for days. Yes. And then I come out going, well, what was that all about? And sometimes... <laughs> That that amount of research ends up as a sentence in the book. Yeah. Um, so so I think when I start to write a historical novel, which is my favorite, I would say of my thirty books, I think twenty six are historical. Okay. And of those books, I always start with the research, and I start mm-hmm. with the German idea, and then the research actually starts to inform the story for mm-hmm. me. And I learn a lot of these historical facts. And then I start asking the question, what would it have been like then, or if a person had lived back then and was faced with this specific point in history? So mm-hmm. like, let's say Nazi occupation in France. Mm-hmm. And so that's where it starts. The characters grow from that. And I am a character plotter. So when I plot a book, I start with character. And then I plug in what's the worst thing that could happen to them. And I make it happen. And then I find what inside of themselves will then pull them out of this awful, horrible, horrendous thing. And then that's usually my theme of the book. And that's how Mm -hmm. I find theme. And I'm one of those, I have an, I'm an economics degree and a master's in religious studies. Uh, did you hear English anywhere in there? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> because I hated learning theme and, you know, three-act structures and all of that. So the hmm. way that I come about writing novels is I'm a storyteller. So I, mm-hmm. figure, I figure the arc for the character. And that informs all the events. Right. Uh, interesting. So, I mean, you mentioned that you you didn't love English. So, um, have you always loved to write? Can you tell us about the path you've taken to becoming a writer? Well, you know the the way I became a writer was a high school. I was a high school teacher, and I taught AP economics, AP political science, and Latin. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you're thinking, "Ooh, riveting! Great subject." <laughs> Well, Latin maybe, but <laughs> <laughs> Latin helped me with English grammar. I will tell you that oh, yes. I am a grammatician because of the Latin. Yeah, for sure. Uh, better than any of my English classes. So that was that helped me in terms of 
the grammar part. So the writing part was not that big of a deal for me. It was learning how to take these stories and turn them into a book. But the way that I became a writer was I started, like I said, as a storyteller. When I'm teaching these high school students, many of them were seniors that needed this course to either graduate or they wanted to take the AP exam and get college credit. And I had to teach some really dry, boring information. And what I learned was that they would remember a story. They would not remember a fact. So mm-hmm. I started telling the facts inside of stories and weaving it that way. And then yeah. that's kind of how it started. And I became a reader. I was, I've always been a reader. I shouldn't say I became a reader. Mm-hmm. And so as a reader, I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm a reader and a storyteller. There's got to be something here. I also giggled because all of the English teachers in my school had that half-finished novel in their front drawer, you know, in their top drawer. And it was always a big joke because I think they knew too much about storytelling or what they had been taught and what they were teaching. I was blissfully ignorant. And Mm -hmm. so I just thought, I'm going to sit down and tell a story. And so that's kind of how it was for me. So I was never really a writer. I was a storyteller. Hmm. So you mentioned to me that you think that teaching economics and political science actually contributed to your success in the publishing yes. industry. Is that right? So how, how is that? So, Oh, well, I would say not directly. It's going to be indirectly. I think directly okay. would mean that I understand the business end of publishing. So right. yes, I would say that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, and understanding how people act politically. So just because I'm a subcontractor for a publisher doesn't mean there aren't politics involved. So that part of it, of course, I come in with some pretty good knowledge, but I think it was more somehow learning how to convey all of that information to the students helped me become the storyteller that I am. Okay. So it's not something that you always enjoyed you never uh, except for the storytelling part but before you were a high school teacher you didn't um you didn't think about writing novels or no and as a matter of fact I got one c in college all my other grades were a and the one c was in creative writing (laughs) (laughs) well clearly something changed you you learned since then, or but what as I you learned, say, I think is that, and this is something that I tell people when I teach workshops, or somebody asks me for their advice, you know, ask me for my advice, mm-hmm. is that I was never a writer on demand. Like I could mm-hmm. not be told, uh, give me an idea or a subject, or I had to go go home and I had to write a story about fill in the blank. I could not do that. Okay. If I can write my own story, that I can do. Yeah. Interesting. So then once you were, um, once you thought, I'll use this, these storytelling skills in, um, and, and write novels, um, how long, like, what was the process for you and how did you get published originally? Oh. Well, again, I don't do anything easy. So my first, <laughs> 
my first manuscript. Okay, so I started back in the um, caveman days. And when I was starting in the early 2000s, independent publishing wasn't really an option. The mm-hmm. Kindle, the e-readers, they were, well, Kindle didn't even exist. E-readers right. were still in their very much infant stage. So the only yeah. way to get published was to go through the traditional publishing route. And so I think I published, or I wrote two or three manuscripts and they were just a hot mess. And I sent them everywhere. and. I must have gotten over, I think I counted 187 rejections on all three of those oh. manuscripts. Yeah. Wow. So what I decided was, okay, this isn't working for me. Clearly, my model isn't working. So I took all those letters and I put them in piles of what these editors were telling me wasn't working in my mm-hmm. novels. And it ended up being three main things. And one was plotting. Um, And then the other one, I think, was I had timeline issues, which, by the way, I still struggle with. And then the third one was just not really having an arc, like a really good cohesive arc. Well, you can learn Mm -hmm. all that. So what I did was I joined writers organizations. I started taking workshops. I basically got a, a college degree in creative writing. Uh, for the genres, you know, for genre commercial fiction. Right. And the next manuscript that I wrote, I, I should I should send it to you, Allison. I think you would think it would be hysterical because you could see every chapter what I was learning that chapter, you know, like show, don't tell. Yeah. Um, you know, setting <laughs> as is as as your third character, you know, that kind of stuff. So then the next manuscript, so number five was the one I sold. Mm. And I, I sold it in kind of a fun way. I entered it in a national magazine contest. At the time, it was called Romantic Times. And the winner was going to get a publishing contract. So long story short, that was how I sold the book. It won the contest. Wow. That is cool. Yeah. That's fun. So um, you mentioned to me, also that your your roots are in historical romance. Mm-hmm. So how did you transition to historical fiction and how do those, how are they different? Oh, good question. Um, well, I started in a historical romance and I think it was because those were the first ones I read. Yeah, I think Francine Rivers, Redeeming mm-hmm. Love was my first one. And I was just okay. blown away with how much you could do in a historical setting. And Mm -hmm. I love the idea sort of of knowing that I didn't have to have to worry about technology and all of that. And I knew that if I wrote this book five years ago, it's still going to be the same kind of time period. It doesn't have to be updated because of technology. So I really liked that. I also think there's something just sort of romantic about historical time periods where things were simpler morals Mm -hmm. were stronger, easier to define. So I really liked that. And I love the idea of happy endings. And, you know, romance is the language of love, but it's also relationships. And I love exploring relationships. But after about 19, 20 romance novels, I started feeling like I was doing a lot of lather, rinse, repeat. 
because romance, regardless of what people say or whatever, there's a, there is a formula. There is very much of this has to happen in the opening. This has to happen by the quarter mark, by the halfway mark, by the three quarters mark. There has to be a black moment at this time and a resolution and epilogue. And that can be really exciting at first because you have sort of a framework, but after a while it started feeling really uh, constricting. And because I was always a historian at heart, I think the natural progression to historical fiction was going to happen or I wasn't going to keep writing. And I love the fact that there, every book is different. It's structured different. The themes can be different. I like women's fiction, historical fiction, mm-hmm. the women's historical fiction. So I can explore yes. female relationships and I don't have to have a romance in there if I don't want it. I can mm-hmm. put it in there if I want that kind of, and it doesn't have to be the focus and the difference okay. between historical romance and historical fiction is that your main thread plot point in a historical romance is the romance. Everything is informed and circles around the romance. In historical fiction, you get to define that as the author. Right. Yeah, that's interesting because we've had, I've had a lot of authors on the show. Um, I've had a lot who write historical romance and a lot who write historical fiction. And I don't think we've ever really talked about what makes historical romance romance instead of just Mm -hmm. fiction. I mean, obviously there's a romance, but yeah, you really defined it well. Oh, good. I've done a lot of thinking about it and I've actually been asked that question a lot. Um, Mm. I think also in historical fiction, I think the historic, the history is also a third character versus the romance. The history is so important and you can't mess around with history. You can't you, like there's n- real things that happened that made mm-hmm. your story stronger. And that's true in romance, but it's a lot more, you have a lot more leeway in romance to kind of work around the facts. Yeah. Mm, that's interesting. Um, so what are you working on now? Can you tell us about that? I'm working on, we have a title. It comes out in October, 2022. It's called the secret society of Salzburg. It's another Mm -hmm. world war II set historical fiction has Mm -hmm. two main heroines. One is Hitler's favorite opera singer. She's a fictional character, but I've set Mm -hmm. her in Salzburg, obviously. And it opens with her, singing in the theater where the Von Trapps sang their last, if you've ever watched Sound of Music and you know then they were, yes. they had to escape. Yes. That Salzburg Music Festival has been going on since 1907, I think. Wow. And it's still going strong. It was only stopped one year, 1944, and that was mm-hmm. after the attempt on Hitler's life. And oh, then wow. it came back in 1945. So, it sort of is focused around that, but my other heroine is a British um, civil servant who, throughout the story, well, I can't, I don't really, I don't want to do it too much because it's a little too spoilers. But she and the right. opera singer become very close friends, and they begin to rescue Jews 
out of Austria and Germany and get them into England. But the refugee program at the time in the 1930s, really 33 through 39, it was very difficult to get Jews out of Germany into other countries because other countries didn't want them. And it's mm-hmm. sort of this whole secret, sad time period that hasn't been really explored. And at the time, Hitler and the Nazis and all, there was such great anti-Semitism, yeah. but they just wanted them out of their country and they could leave. They couldn't take anything with them. And then the country that they were going to had to accept them. So I've got my heroines rescuing people and getting them visas and things like that. So they can get out mm-hmm. of Germany and Austria into England. Oh, wow. And then how they continue through the war. Just to, uh, But it's, it's a little bit more of a secret at that point. Uh, well, it was really a scary seri- secret network in the 30s. Mm-hmm. Because although Germany said, we don't want you, they made it hard to leave. And mm-hmm. England made it hard to come. Oh, wow. So interesting. I feel like I learned something from every author about, you know, some little bit of history that I hadn't explored yet. Isn't that the great thing about historical fiction? Yeah, there's so much how we learn. learn. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is a question I ask all my guests. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? Great question. Well, you know, there's the old adage, if you don't learn from history, it will repeat itself. Yeah. I think that's true. But I also think history continually repeats itself mm-hmm. because we don't learn. And really, <laughs> I, and I think it's not because we don't learn from events. We don't learn what caused those events. And I think right. in, in historical fiction, because it's character driven, I'd like to think that we're teaching readers and ourselves and our fellow authors the human heart hasn't changed and that Mm -hmm. if we are going to continue to grow as humans morally and find those sacrifices in ourselves so that we can then make it this a better world, then these stories help us see that. Right. Universal issues. Yes. Well, Renee, this has been a fantastic conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? I would say the best way is to find my website. It's ReneeRyan.com. It's R-E-N-E-E-R-Y-A-N.com. Um, or you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Mm-hmm. And all of those links are on my website. So if you go to the website, you can just click, click, click. Right. I'm also, I also do a, um, a broadcast through my step into the story, which is in Facebook. And okay. I, myself and my cohort, we review books and we interview book influencers and we just talk books and how much mm-hmm. fun we love them, you know, how much we love them. And we only do women's fiction, no romance, a lot of historical fiction. So that's, that's another way oh, to go to step into the story on Facebook. 
Okay, I'll have to link to all of that in the show notes so that listeners can get can get to it easily. Sure. Yeah, well, thank you so much for being with us today, Renee. Thank you. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Renee. Do go to the show notes, either in your podcatcher app or on the internet. AllisonTreat.com slash blog is where you will find all the show notes listed with the show. There you can find Renee's books, links to her books and her website and everything else that will be of interest to you about Renee Ryan. Now, as usual, I want to leave you with a quote, and this is related to our discussion about everyday heroes, about people rising to the occasion. This comes from H.W. Shaw. Everything that a truly brave man does is done from principle, not impulse. And when no one sees him, he is just as heroic as he would be if he was in the eyes of the multitude. So my friends, keep being heroic in your everyday life and keep reading historical fiction. I will talk to you again next week.